Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and we are doing something brand new today. This is the first time in almost four years now of doing the Faculty Factory Podcast that we have a group episode here. I am looking at three wonderful and very interesting guests from Texas Tech, led off by Dr. Zubair Mullah. Zubair, how are you? Good morning. How are you, Kim? Uh, thank you for having us. Well, I'm really excited to talk about the topics today. Now, friends on the podcast, you may want to scroll back to episode number 56 with Zubair. That was almost two years ago, February 14th. It was Valentine's Day 2020 when we talked with Zubair, talked about collaboration, cultivating a spirit of, cult of, of collaboration. Zubair talked about need to know which is a, a title that they, they entitled their Grand Rounds, Red Cap, Data. And when I started looking at um, Zubair's website and accomplishments, I saw, I was really pleased, and I wanted to congratulate your team before we introduce the team on, on all the scholarship that you and your team are producing. I'm really, I know it's a lot of work to publish in this space and in, in our field, and I really do just want to uh, call out the great your work, the great work you're doing there with creating scholarship in the field of faculty development. So, congratulations to you, Zubair. And I want to again briefly kind of again the take look here is that I'm looking at three guests, and they are, and then I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves. But Valerie Payton and Sanya Kupasik. So I would like to welcome everyone to the podcast. We have, again, Zubair Mola, Valerie Payton, and Sanya Kupasik. Valerie, would you please start off with telling us your title and what you do at Texas Tech, and then we'll go into Zubair and Sanya. Kimberly, it's great to be here uh, in this session together uh, with our collaborators. Um, I think we're going to have a good time. Um, my current title is Professor of Higher Education at Texas Tech University. I have been previously assigned as Senior Vice Provost in Academic Affairs at Texas Tech Health Sciences Center in El Paso. Those institutions are about six hours apart, but I'm co-appointed to both. Wow. And you are the leader of the office. So I hear you, you are the the at the helm there. So congratulations to you, especially for clearly building a team that is very innovative, dynamic, and scholarly productive. And just a point of clarification, I am now a full-time faculty member, so I, I was until last year, um, the line management report uh, for the Office of Faculty Development. Got it. Okay. Thank you, Valerie. Now, Dr. Dr. Zubair Mullah, the, the frequent flyer on the Faculty Factory podcast, back again with this great team. Zubair, who are you and what do you do at Texas Tech? Thank you, Kimberly. Yep, great to be back. So uh, I'm the Assistant Dean for Faculty Development here at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, El Paso, and I actually report to Dr. Sonia Kupasik. She's the fearless leader of our office, and I've been here almost six years uh, in March of this year, but with the university... Uh, over 15 years. So I'm an, I'm an epidemiologist in the OBGYN department. Thanks, Zubair. And Sanya. Hi, Kim. I'm Sanya Kupasik, and I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Associate Academic Dean for Faculty Development. I'm practicing physician, so I work 40% for OB department, and I'm 60% administrative. 
thank you for inviting us. Well, thank you, Sonia. This is this is again, like I said, something brand new. I have no idea how this is going to turn out, but I'm looking at three professionals. And I guess we're just going to lead off with the, the leader, Valerie Payton. Dr. Payton, lead us off here. What are you going to share with the Faculty Factory audience? Well, you know, I, and it was remarkable, actually, that Zubair did a podcast with you almost two years ago. And, and I think if we could all just stop, take a minute and think about two years ago. Um, and that's the context I wanted to share with you this morning, because um, I think that there is a very, very powerful role for the Office of Faculty Development when you talk about institutional challenge and resilience. And I think um, that Sonia and Zubair will talk about the structural support that they had built and created that became the just-in-time resources for us as we faced a significant challenge here, and as everyone did globally, um, to address uh, institutional organizational change, pedagogical change, and student learning experience during our uh, pandemic. So the, the points I think I to set this off and to start this discussion is the role of faculty development in the organizational life for us was um, critical. Structures have been built to begin to educate chairs, assistant deans, um, and leadership across the institution, which Sonia will talk about. But they had also been ongoing educational programming in faculty scholarship, which Subera will talk about, but also teaching and learning. That teaching and learning work that had been done, particularly in online pedagogy or andragogy, became critical as we faced this rapid, what Educause calls emergency remote learning environment that we moved into in mid-March 2020, particularly for the medical education and the AAMC revision of, of taking students out of clinical environments at that point in time. So um, as an example, we have been working on the institution-wide structure for e-learning and for good practices, best practices, adopting an OSCAR rubric. Some of you know that from the SUNY system, the OSCAR rubric on best practices in online learning environments. But it turned out that the Office of Faculty Development was actually the experts in curricular design and in faculty support, and certainly in faculty development, in teaching in high quality, high learning outcome online environments. And the work that they had done put us in a position to leverage that for the entire institution as we made that rapid pivot in spring of 2020. So that's one example I would use. Um, there's other examples in terms of the work that they did also benefited not only UME, but also graduate medical education and telemedicine. Their staff were skilled and knowledgeable about what faculty needed, what residents needed, med school students needed, nursing, biomedical, you name it. They knew what the faculty needed as well as what the students were expecting. And so they used their learning management support and their non-credit curriculum design work to transition to support the institution during that period of time. And I could list a lot of other resources that they supplied. I really sort of see this as a, 
sort of a cardiovascular system, um, providing essential resources across the organization while the organization was under challenge. Well, that, thank you, Valerie. So I, what I'm reflecting on is thinking when my mom was hospitalized before she passed and she'd have her team of care caregivers and healthcare professionals coming in the office, she would introduce this cardiologist as the plumber, this cardiologist as the electrician. And so you're, you're making me think of my mom, how she had was, she was clear because she was in the health profession. She was understanding the, who was in charge of what system and what component of the heart they were working in. And so you're, you're giving to me this really uh, very relevant example of what an office of faculty development. And I'm not sure if we're the plumbers or the electricians or maybe the contractors or what it is we are, but I just wanted to thank you for elevating and, and highlighting the offices of faculty development and how, how important and how um, vital is what, what we as faculty members do in the office of faculty for faculty. Because I think a lot of times when I explain like to my friends who aren't in academic medicine, what I do, they think, oh, that's kind of, so you're HR. And I say, well, no, not really. Or you're, or you're open organization development. You do training and well, yeah, but not really. Oh, so you do education. You're in GMEC. I mean, well, yeah. And so it's all those, the, the recognition that all those parts alone, CME, GME, HR, OD, they all have very vital roles, and yet the Office of Faculty Development kind of is the catalyst to bring that together in the context of the life of the faculty member, that each one of those offices by themselves really um, can't quite do. So I love the metaphor of this, the human system, the body, and everything's connected to everybody and how we really need to work together. It's so true. And, you know, it's very relational. And those of you that work in faculty development, you'll know more than I did, frankly, as a, an academic leader, um, the relationality of the work. And that relationship is what contributes to resilience at times of challenge. Um, those are the important functions, whether we, however we do them, virtually, hybrid, face-to-face, -face, whatever our future holds, it's all about um, getting down to those relationships that support and bring about quality of life for our faculty. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Payton. That's, it's also making me think that when I look at leadership here at Hopkins and how we pull from the faculty, our assistant deans, associate deans, vice deans, executive deans, these, the leadership. And I've had some people say, well, why don't you just hire someone who is in the business world or in industry who are, who get, who they, they do this for a living. They've studied team building and finance and um, HR. So they get this. Why, why do you keep, you know, putting faculty members there and these faculty members are so stressed and burdened and they're so busy. And then you make them your leaders. And then, so when they go down that path or people do, I think, yes, but Yes, but, or not a yes, but, but yes, and no one understands faculty like faculty. And then I put on my program evaluator's hat and think about internal validity versus external validity. To have an external reviewer come in, yes, that kind of has lends some credibility because they have their neutral third party. But if you want internal validity, if you want someone to 
point something out to you, having an understanding and appreciation for the culture, it's a faculty member. So that's sure. the difference when you have someone externally who's not a faculty member teaching or preparing, presenting some content. When you put that coming out of a faculty member's mouth and heart, the, the participants say, ah, it's Valerie Payton. She she gets it. She's It's a Zubair. It's a Sonia. They, they're in the trenches with us. So they understand the unique perspective of a faculty member. That's what makes us, I think, so incredibly valuable. Well, and beyond that, I think it's really important because I come from the general academic side of the house as a faculty member in a college of education at Texas Tech. The people used to say to me, but you don't understand health sciences or you don't understand medical school. And it was true. Um, <laughs> and I had to learn a lot in order to be supportive to the, to the Office of Faculty and Development and more generally to faculty practicing in these areas because they, they really are unique areas. So context, context is everything. And then getting back to this, just being able to be in sympathy with or in empathy with um, our younger faculty, our faculty who are pressed on every side, clinical, as well as um, teaching, as well as scholarship. Um, They're pressed in a different way than um, in the general academic community. So uh, respecting that difference uh, is what makes for a powerful office for faculty development. And, and I'm going to let you turn to Sonia and Zubair because they're the experts in this discussion at this point. Thank you, Valerie. Okay, Sonia, I think you're, you're up. Let's, let's uh, learn from you. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. And thanks, Valerie, for such a nice introduction. Um, I, I agree. Faculty are really the foundation of any academic institution. And our academic institutions, health sciences centers, they rely on competent, but also engaged faculty for their success. So uh, this is very important for uh, clinical faculty in newly established medical schools and newly established institutions. We are one of those. Uh, so I'd just like to introduce a little bit our university uh, because I think it's very important to understand the context. Um, so our public university uh, has about 400 full-time and part-time faculty members. We are located on the U.S.-Mexico border in El Paso, Texas, and we have four academic units. We have Paul Foster School of Medicine, the Gail Griffin School of Nursing, the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences, and the Woodell Hunt School of Dental Medicine. So the Office of Faculty Development sponsors faculty development programs for all four schools. And our office comprises of two faculty members, Zubair, who is a PhD and epidemiologist, and I am practicing OBGN with PhD. So it is important to stress that both faculty members, Zubair and I, we are also scientists who publish in peer-reviewed journals. Uh, we are very, uh, our knowledge and skills are very uh, compatible. Uh, so I'm clinician. I have been teaching in pre-clerkship. I have been teaching in clerkship. I was clerkship director. I'm teaching in GME. I'm teaching. I'm also one of the fellowship directors of international fellowship program. So I have a very good understanding of um, training the trainers, the clinicians. And uh, what is very important is that our faculty development programs, we have seven of them, they're available for faculty at all levels and at no cost. So, um, also, what is very important, especially after a transition to online, 
the faculty can access all, the, all our programs uh, from all instructional sites. And uh, also, it is very important that our programs are linked to the institutional goals. So they're customized. And, uh, and also, it is important that goals of our programs, uh, our mentoring and faculty development programs, um, are to improve job satisfaction, to facilitate promotion of our faculty, but also to improve institutional vitality and increase faculty retention. Uh, so it is, it is very specific to our institution. Um, also, I, I just like to introduce you to major programs. Uh, the key signature program is the Institutional Faculty Development Program. It's a comprehensive eight-month faculty development program, um, which is uh, designed to help junior and mid-level faculty members uh, to engage in their academic responsibilities, also enhance their teaching and assessment skills um, in different teaching environments, uh, to develop their research scholarship skills, but also uh, to basically understand the steps of academic advancement. Um, and also what is the most important is to network with their colleagues. Uh, and we uh, serve as facilitators uh, of this network networking events uh, as well. In terms of the number of educational credits that we provide, uh, we are very, very proud because um, especially during COVID pandemic, uh, we were very busy with creating the online content in uh, LMS uh, in Canvas. And we have created uh, 85 educational credits worth courses, CME and CNE. Uh, we actually, uh, last year, we conducted uh, about 55 synchronous sessions by teleconferencing. We have attracted more than 200 individual faculty. So 50% of our faculty were engaged, not only participants, but general faculty. And also what is really impressive, that the number of contact hours was increased from about 750 pre-COVID to 1,328. So, uh, and also this year we are getting even better. So during the first six months of this academic year, we reached 1,200 contact hours. So we expect that we will triple the number of contact hours compared to pre-pandemic era. Uh, so this is really, and it is only for institutional faculty development programs. So um, I think that we really did a good job. And uh, we also have another program, which is departmental faculty development program. And it is a logical extension of uh, the major institutional faculty development program. So in this program, we focus on clerkship, residency, and fellowship programs. We uh, help our faculty and support faculty undergoing promotion and tenure, but also we help them with accreditation of their programs, residency and fellowship programs. Uh, we also have personalized faculty development program. Uh, it is based on the needs of individual faculty. Um, it is very tailored to the individual needs uh, and preferences of the individual faculty. Um, so uh, we, we are working uh, with um, faculty on teaching enhancement or remediation of their teaching skills. Um, we also have mid-career faculty development. Uh, so this is a program that um, increases the clinical and scholarship productivity of mid-career faculty. And these faculty are senior assistant professor or associate professors. Uh, so uh, this program is very, very helpful because it increases the rates of promotion. 
Um, we also have uh, collaboration with Graduate Medical Education uh, Office, uh, and we have uh, created a GME, uh, Faculty Development and Leadership Development Program. So this program is targeting the needs of GME core faculty, residency program directors, assistant program directors, and also staff members. So it's a kind of a team training, GME team training. Also, we have Leadership Development Academy that we are currently running, and it is uh, focused on uh, developing uh, of the department chairs, assistant associate deans, and also office managers. So it is not only academic uh, faculty, faculty in academia. Uh, they work, uh, they improve their leadership skills uh, through self-discovery. Uh, we are doing a lot of group discussions, uh, collaborative networking, and also uh, we are, uh, uh, it has four or five courses uh, that are embedded in Leadership Development Academy because the group is so heterogeneous. So we have general and administrative leadership course. We have educational leadership course. We have leadership in graduate medical education course. We have clinical leadership course, and we have also research leadership course. Uh, so this is uh, our Leadership Development Academy. And then we also have community faculty development, targeting our community-based faculty and preceptors, because it is very important to ensure this kind of uniformity in the clinical training of our students and residents. Um, and before our community preceptors are assigned to either medical, nursing, or dental student teaching, we invite them to attend a series of presentations uh, to provide them with information on adult learning, practicing teach, practical teaching, um, in clinical setting, feedback methods that we use. Uh, so I think that this is also a very important, uh, important program. They also have access to teaching physician website, our library, and institution-specific modules that are created by, uh, by our office. And also another very important program is uh, institutional faculty develop uh, mentoring program. Uh, so we have um, a lot of um, underrepresented minority faculty members, uh, especially Hispanic and women, and they are known to lag behind other faculty uh, in achieving their scholarly activities uh, that are essential for their faculty development uh, and promotion. And to address this disparity, our office has developed a promotion-oriented two-year mentoring program, the Institutional Faculty Mentoring Program. And we are um, also identifying uh, mentors within the institution and extramurally uh, to basically uh, help them with uh, their career goals and objectives to meet their, uh, their needs. So that's a kind of a big picture of everything that we do. And uh, I hope that it gave you a kind of a context how we are organized and what, are, what is the scope of uh, our job. Oh my gosh, Sonia, that is so amazing for being new and being having established such a broad array of offerings, each one complex. You're not talking about these one-off seminars or workshops. These are programs that are really um, developed broadly. And again, um, if you're listening to this, you will appreciate the data and uh, the work that goes in monitoring this. And these programs are spelled out in uh, Sonia and Zuber's publication, 
uh, entitled The Essentials of a Faculty Development Program in the Setting of a New Medical School. So you can read in more detail the Journal of Investigative Medicine 2020. This came out, um, and again, it's linked, it's in the facultyfactory.org website. It'll be linked in the in this episode. But um, again, thank you, Sonia. That's real. It's when I read the the article, well, actually, there are three of them that I was really enjoying and really appreciating the work that went into this because I, I understand how how difficult it is, first of all, to develop a program, but then to take the extra steps of measuring and evaluating. So congrats. And I think um, I think we're going to turn it over to Zubair, right? Thank you, Dr. Skorupski and um, Dr. K, Dr. Payton. So glad to be back. And I'll talk a, maybe a few minutes about our scholarly activities and other research. So, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Sonia, Dr. Kapasik, our fearless leader, she and I noticed that some of our faculty, especially the junior faculty, were struggling with their writing productivity. And so, you know, again, publish or perish, and especially some of our clinicians who are, you know, working long hours in, in the clinic, OR, et cetera. So in 2016, inspired by your writing accountability groups, your WAGs that you've instituted at Hopkins, we started the WIG, the Writing Interest Group in 2016. And originally it was face-to-face and we had over a course of several weeks of writing workshop, we'd give lunch to our faculty and see how they were progressing on their manuscripts. And then over the years, we integrated that standalone writing interest group into our faculty development program, that annual one that Sonia nicely detailed. And now with the pandemic, we pivoted to using Canvas learning management system. So we're delivering all of our content uh, um, online. So whether it's live synchronous or asynchronous, the writing interest group has now gone online. And just this year, as of a few weeks ago, we're also superimposing a WAG. So again, inspired by your nice model and that excellent paper you and your colleague published on writing accountability groups, the WIG and the WAG are moving forward as of this year in tandem. Mm -hmm. And maybe just transitioning also, you mentioned some of our papers that there's another paper we're really excited about. And Drs. Kupasik and Peyton were the senior authors on that one. And that deals with promotion, right? This is always on our mind as a, as a young faculty member and even mid-career is moving up through the ranks. So a couple of years ago, we partnered with the Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness here at our institution. And our two offices teamed up, Office of Faculty Development and um, OIRE, as we call it, OIRE. We had all noticed that previous publications, previous investigations of faculty development programs in medicine, they've tended to suffer from a small sample size, lack of a comparison group, perhaps reliance on subjective self-reported outcomes, and or the inability to track these faculty promotions at the individual level longitudinally. So we we kind of sat down and kind of scratched our heads and designed a study using some of our data And what we found in 11 years of follow-up, we tracked 235 faculty members. And of those, 148 were graduates of our faculty development course. And we had 87 non-graduates never took the course in our comparison group. So we did this cohort study from 2008 to 2019. We all did it in a matter of months. It was a retrospective cohort. And you, as an epidemiologist, can quite appreciate that, that if you have the data set, you can you know, 
do these type of retrospective longitudinal studies in a matter of weeks or months if you have the right partner. So you, you and your listeners are probably curious, what did we find in our study, which was published last year in the peer-reviewed Marshall Journal of Medicine 2021? And so what we found were, was that our faculty development course graduates were almost 12 times as likely, they had 12 times the odds of being promoted from assistant professor to associate professor after adjusting for age, sex, ethnicity, the tenure status, and also specialty, right? So like primary care, I'm a pure PhD, so I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have clinical duty. So we threw all these variables in the model in a marginal GEE logistic model, and we found this statistically significant odds ratio of almost 12 with a p-value of 0.001 and uh, had some strengths and limitations, of course. And But uh, we're happy to share the paper with you and uh, looking forward to doing more scholarship with our excellent partners here. So, yeah, yeah. thank you. Oh, Zubair, you are so uh, humble, as it always have been. But yes, this article is going to be linked, or it already is in the Faculty Factory website and on this episode. Our friend and colleague Darshana Shah started this fabulous journal. Um, so we are real. I was just thrilled to see this. And exactly right, uh, Zubair, you're talking about doing something that is so hard to do and so rare because it takes so much work. Uh, having this comparison group and employing these sophisticated methods in GEE to look at these um, effects, I think is just so important as we know, as Dr. Payton pointed out, and and I, of course I'm a champion and I'm glad she's a champion and she gets this, but there are some people who don't really, I think appreciate the value of what we're bringing to faculty members. And now more than ever, because of all the stressors, we, um, we really need to bring the data. And so I'm just so impressed that you've been able to not only bring this out, which is very high level, but so much so much other research and scholarship. So you're really growing the field and, and raising the bar. That's what we need to do to demonstrate our value when times are tough and resources are scarce, that we want to make sure that we are investing our, our money in the right places and bringing value to our faculty members. So you're clearly doing that at Texas Tech. And um, I, I really love what you're doing for the field and for everything we're trying to do as, as our for our faculty members. Would you like to um, make a comment, Zuber? I mean, you talked about the promotion. Can you give us some insight into maybe some anecdotal evidence or what you're feeling with the faculty? What is the climate? And a lot of, you know, some of this does not get into our, into our research, but what, what are you seeing since, you know, 2016 at Texas Tech with the faculty members that you interact with, particularly in, in the context of the programming you're offering? And when you bring people together in real time or virtually, you know, what, what, is, um, what are you thinking of or reflecting on for your faculty and how this has made a difference in what you do? I think the, the, the support and engagement and so faculty sometimes feel maybe they're lost or isolated, but once we get them all together, whether virtually or in person, they realize they all have some of the same issues like, uh, say, family stress, work stress, and they don't maybe allocate enough time to write. So I think we listen, and every year when we end our annual faculty development 
course or program now, as we call it, we have a, a session where they give feedback. We also do surveys every few years on what worked, what didn't work with our, all of our programs. And in fact, we have one of those surveys in progress right now, IRB approved, just assessing. And so we can fine tune and move forward. And also the shift to online teaching that Dr. Kupasik introduced, that really allows our busy faculty members now to, instead of running from their clinic back to their office and they're 10 minutes late for say an old fashioned face-to-face session, now they can, using their phone, their computer, they can log in wherever they are in the country, anywhere. And so I'm just really thrilled about going online and using our learning management system. So I think, again, being responsive and adapting to their needs, customizing program, the old-fashioned four-hour workshops that we used to maybe have, they probably will come back every now and then like as needed, (laughs) but it's not going to be probably a full shift back ever to all face-to-face. Yeah, that's, you know, I think that's that's the vibe I'm getting, Zubair, that um, so many of us around the world saw our numbers of participation go up. And so we you can't deny the participation and the involvement. That's just kind of the data bear the, that out, as well as the ability to, I think, offer more, you know, increased number of um, offerings because our big thing at Hopkins, and I don't know what, you know, what it's like on your physical campus is we were fighting for space. We would have ideas for um, programs and workshops and and boot camps and evening sessions and morning sessions. And there were only like this many, and I'm holding up two hands and wiggling my fingers. There were only this many adequate tech, you know, appropriately equidistant rooms that we could have stuff in. And so we had these online enrollment um, reservation things. And it was a constant like, hurry up, get on the system. Can we book that room? Oh, no, someone just stole it from us. Or the Dean's group, you know, got rid of, blasted away our our hold on that that, uh, room. And, oh, where's plan B? Where's plan C? So part of our logistical struggle was literally the space. And then you add other kind of nonsense, like we'd have hospitality back when we had money. And we would have so little snacks and and uh, box lunches, maybe. And then you'd have to add that whole thing of making sure someone was going to meet the driver, the f- person bringing the food. And so there are all these kind of layers of additional complexity that as we now realize, now you're just clicking a button and anybody can be made the co-host. And now after two plus years, we've all figured out how to do this and hit record and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I do see agree with you, Zubair, that it would be hard-pressed to go backwards. And yet, I don't know if maybe Sonia wants to, you know, noodle on this idea. How do we get to a new normal that will, as Zubair mentioned, like this isolation and feeling all alone? I I definitely miss, I miss the in-person stuff, but I'm sure a lot of people do, a lot of new faculty do feel like, you know, welcome to the institution. And here I I barely know, I don't even know where the coffee maker is because I haven't been in the office and I don't really know anybody personally. So can you, you know, maybe Sonia help us envision um, some, what will the new hybrid look like and how does, how can you project or foresee the future, especially in light of um, diversity and trying to broaden 
the guests around the table that fully represents what we look like as a world. Can we, are we going to continue doing this virtually? I mean, any thoughts, Sonia? I think, thanks, Kim. It's a great point. I think that we are going to continue doing many things uh, online uh, with help of uh, our uh, technology support specialists. We have instructional designers in our team. We have lead analysts. And as you know, uh, creation of quality e-learning program is a high input operation. And uh, we in Office of Faculty Development, we need support of our senior faculty members to help us create the material to uh, basically lead all those uh, e-learning and uh, teleconferences sessions. But also uh, we require time and expertise of collaborators like lead analysts to design, to run, to monitor, to report the outcome. This is also important. So I think that the secret of our success is that once our faculty development participants or LDA, Leadership Development Academy participants graduate, uh, we actually engage, engage them in other sessions uh, or we provide them support. Sometimes it is research support. So Zuber meet with them to design, uh, to talk about their study design. We provide uh, biostatistical support. Uh, we also uh, support them technically. Uh, so our lead analysts help them create their electronic exhibits, posters, uh, PowerPoint for their presentations, help them record their videos. We also provide them with academic support. So when they go for promotion or if they, uh, when they go through uh, accreditation of their programs, residency program, we are here to help them and support them. So we do not let them go once they complete and graduate from our program. So I think that this constant collaboration and networking is the secret of our success. And also, I think that in the future, we are definitely going to have some workshops. But when we are going to organize face-to-face uh, -face meetings, it is going to be with a good reason. It will be uh, hands-on activity. It will be a workshop. It will be very, very interactive. Uh, so that's uh, how I see foresee the future. Um, we also noticed that um, our program was initiated in 2003, and I have been with the Office of Faculty Development for 10 years. Uh, so until now, uh, we have 273 faculty who graduated from our Institutional Faculty Development Program. And on average, we had in each, uh, every year, we had about 13 to 15 faculty graduating from our program. This year, we have 25 faculty enrolled in our faculty development program. In Leadership Development Academy, we have 29. So the numbers are increasing. So that means that we are really doing something our faculty appreciate. So I think that it will not be wise to give up uh, because uh, it is also, uh, we learned a lot and I think that this is the right way to go, but I think it will be truly hybrid in the future. Yeah, thank you, Sonia. I, I I agree with that. And that's just like our offices, you know, have are obligated to provide the outcomes and outputs minimally, but and outcomes from our data. Uh, the faculty just showing showing up, I think, is just uh, is what isn't is a strong endorsement. You can't get around that in any way uh, if they're coming. So um, I'm wondering if Valerie, uh, Dr. Payton. 
with if your your lifelong career is education and this you've developed this deep expertise here, I could you help teach me what what do we see coming down the pipeline or up the pipeline, whatever direction we're talking here, of younger learners who um, who will be coming through our doors in our medical schools, in our health profession schools, as as learners. Are you observing or have you observed any trends over time that are different or that are making you think, okay, academic health centers, medical faculty, as you're going to be looking at these new trainees coming into your clinics, into your labs, into your um, departments and divisions, this is something that's different or we need to, we need to think about or maybe change the way I'm asking you, you know, Valerie, because I'm just, I had recently recently did a podcast where someone mentioned generational differences and, and I, I kind of panicked, you know, I didn't have a sense of, oh my gosh, what are you seeing, Valerie? Anything that we should. Well, I, I think first of all, um, we will never be the same. Um, and our learners and our faculty are not the same, not the same in two years time. And this may have been one of the more sudden immersions of change in U.S. higher education, in our faculty and our students. But we've been through a lot of change in U.S. higher education. So institutions have been pressed over, over 200, 300 years to uh, evolve. I spent a lot of time in England because my son-in-law is a doctor in England and my daughter works with Alzheimer's Research UK near Cambridge. Um, they have a longer history. They have responded over time. Their institutions have responded and evolved from a lot of different external threats or crises. And the one thing we know clearly as a takeaway is we cannot look back. We cannot look back. We, we are not the same. We have been indelibly changed and how we teach and how we learn. And um, that we, if we're in faculty development, we absolutely need to lead with that. We understand we need to be on the forward edge of our learners' learning curve, whatever that is, whether they're faculty or, or administrators. Um, so we have, in fact, moved. We've transitioned. We've had a, a whole new skill set. So do our literally pre-K through lifelong learners, post, <laughs> post-doc, lifelong learners, we all know how to learn differently now. Mm. Um, we've been exposed to this massive immersion, which is nothing that we would have ever wished to do from a pedagogical purity perspective, but it happened. And so one, we need to be ready for those new learners, those revised learners. They're coming all the way up from elementary to high school, into lower division, upper division, certainly into medical school. Um, the other thing that, that I think is really critical is they will tell us what they need. They have learned to be tremendous advocates for their own growth, whether we're talking faculty or we're talking students. They're going to tell us. So we need to listen, as Zubair mentioned. And I do think one of the things that's critical, and I was in um, seven hours of annual faculty evaluations on Friday, um, you have to hear the cry of the heart. There's a cry of the heart on social isolation. And so we need to pay attention to social integration for both faculty, for students, for staff, for community members. We need to get focused on how do we do social integration 
in the best way we know, and the same thing is the best way we know to teach, we, we now can master technology and use it for our own purposes. We need to be clear that one of the presenting issues, not secondary to knowledge acquisition, but primary, is social integration. Because if we don't get out there with our new med students, with our residents, who I think residents were lonely before, they're lonelier now. Um, if we don't get out there to create those opportunities for them to um, grow social and emotional relationships, professional support, learning support, if we don't, um, they're gonna look for other options because they can't live in a real lonely environment long. And so I just think we need to approach with a lot of empathy what we've all journeyed through, what we all acknowledge inside of ourselves that, yes, we need to get back to skill sets. Let me also say clinicals changed. You all know clinicals changed. Telemedicine changed everything, and it is changing everything. It changes the whole paradigm for delivery of care. And I'm not an expert in that area. I'm just a patient. <laughs> so I can just tell you, I mean, we just need to listen as we move forward, and faculty development needs to be poised to pay attention first to some of these uh, presenting social integration issues and social isolation concerns as we emerge out of this type of crisis. Other crises are different, but this one isolated us. So now we need some intervention. Oh, Valerie, you're so, so right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, isolation, it, 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 it was a problem beforehand. Uh, it's such a siloed, experience and so many faculty members, I'm sure not even in academic medicine, any faculty member, you're, you're overwhelmed with the, the, this burden of, I have to publish, I have to do research, I have to teach, I'm going to be the cutting edge on anything, I got to build my clinical practice, I have to get the grants, get the papers, hire people, be on service, uh, get promoted, volunteer, be in the community, all these things I must be and then layer on top of it a pandemic, and you can't you can't even be physically in the presence of human beings. It really is an incredible weight. And I love uh, Dr. Payton how you said that. Listen to the cry of the heart, empathy, and and it's I can't help but I have to say it again that the unique nature of offices of faculty development that we are the ones who are perfectly positioned to listen to that cry of the heart because. We are, we are the faculty, and so we hear the faculty as opposed to a, an office that is a couple layers um, out in the outskirts, if we will, or um, removed from the experience of faculty members. So thank you, Valerie, for advocating for faculty and reminding us that change is inevitable, that we can't go back. And the, so, the, the import of the social integration and how trying to create an experience for faculty members that will allow them to thrive and remembering the thriving is above and beyond acquisition of knowledge and skills, but it's that connectedness. Dr. Mola, you, I, I appreciate you so much for bringing this gangbuster team together on this podcast. I'm going to as, as I get ready to say goodbye here, I'm going to just let, let you have a final comment about your team there and the leadership uh, that Dr. Kupasek has provided, the whole team, and 
you and Valerie Payton, what, what would you like to say as a parting thought from Texas Tech? Thank you so much. Uh, so we're always thinking forward and looking for new exciting opportunities for our faculty here and regionally and globally. So in that regard, Dr. Kopasik is working on linking us with some universities in Europe. And so we're thinking now internationally and perhaps our colleagues just across the street in Mexico. I could see Mexico from my office building, beautiful Mexico. So we are thinking now about developing faculty all over, not just here. So thank you. Wow, 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 wow. Great things going on in Texas. Big, go big, as always in Texas. I appreciate the team here, Drs. Peyton, Kupasik, Mullah. Thanks for breaking new territory. Again, you went big on the podcast, just like I would expect. No one's ever done this. And thank you so much for preparing and, and giving us a lot of really good food for thought and sharing your heart and passion for faculty. Thank you very much. We'll see you all next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.